be reading from Acts 9, verses 36 to 42. At Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Lida had, was near Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter rose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room, and all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. Good evening. I hope you have your Bibles open to Acts the ninth chapter. We will be studying from that context in just a few moments. It certainly is good to be together once again this Lord's Day, to be able to worship God and to offering words of encouragement, to be able to sing together and pray together. It certainly is an uplifting day that we are able to spend together. And we thank you for your presence and your willingness to be here to set aside some time out of your busy lives and your busy schedule to come and to be an encouragement to me and to others here as well. In Acts chapter 9, it's really kind of an interesting chapter. It's a very it's a lengthy chapter in the book of Acts that it begins with the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. You remember that Saul was breathing threats upon the church and he was beginning to uh, really bear down in his persecution against Christians, hauling them off into the prisons, even killing some of them after the persecution that Saul was overseeing. It was really beginning to ramp up and yet whenever he became a Christian, all of that kind of came to a screeching halt at the end of that, in Acts chapter 9 and in verse 31, it says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up, and going on in fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it continued to increase. And so even while Saul, as he was persecuting, he became a Christian, and now the church is able to enjoy peace. There was comfort from the Holy Spirit, and the church was able to continue on in its mission. And that, I believe, is one of the interesting things about how Luke puts the book of Acts together. He then sort of does a pan over, if you will, if you are familiar with movie and uh, camera terms. He does a pan over. He pans to look at Peter. He takes the emphasis off of Saul and he goes back to Peter. 
And Peter in his ministry, he has continued to preach the gospel, but he has left Jerusalem probably in large part because of the persecution of Saul. And so he has left the region of Jerusalem and Judea and he is beginning to travel outside in some places that the gospel had not been to before. And so you continue to see the growth and the conversion of people to the Lord and how the church was continuing to grow in, in great numbers at this point. And you see that Peter, what accompanies his ministry, and much like Jesus, I think what Luke is trying to do is see that Peter is much akin to Jesus at this point, that he is going out, he's branching out into different territories, and he's performing a great host of miracles. And you see that um, in verse 33, Peter, he uh, there's a man named Aeneas who was bedridden for eight years because he was paralyzed, and Peter heals him. And then a great miracle that is performed, uh, we just read about with the raising up of Dorcas or Tabitha whichever name you might prefer to call her by. I'm going to probably refer to her more as Dorcas this evening. But it is interesting that He raises her from the dead, much how Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And, and so you see that Peter is continuing on his mission to preach the Gospel. And we have this encounter, this really this uh, funeral, if you will, this wake that you have after the death of a saint, of a Christian. You have the people who are there sad. And they're sorrowful. And they are remembering their deceased friend. And they want Peter to come. And you have to wonder what they might have expected what were their expectations of Peter? We, we're not told. But they ask for Peter to come, and he comes. And he raises Dorcas from the dead. It's interesting, the word Dorcas means gazelle. And not that this has anything really to do with what we learn about her in these short verses, but I think it is fascinating to think about a gazelle because a gazelle can run anywhere between 43 to 60 miles per hour. They can escape a lion with that kind of speed. But they can't outpace a cheetah who can sprint up to 75 miles per hour. However, a gazelle can escape a cheetah, not because they are faster, but because they can go much longer distances. And a gazelle can sprint for, uh, or a cheetah can only sprint for over a quarter of a mile. A gazelle can run a lot further. Gazelles can change directions much quicker than a cheetah, so it gives them a tactical advantage against the predator. And what bring that information up for us to think about when we are told about this woman named Dorcas and how she was full of good deeds, how she was continually showing acts of kindness. And then she is raised from the dead and I'm left with the question, what, was she, what did she do after that? That is what kind of comes to my mind is how did she spend the rest of her life? Well, I would imagine that it was in very much the same kind of character only with much more enthusiasm 
and how she did before she died. And so I think we can benefit if we would look at the life of Dorcas, even though there's a little bit of information that's just given here, I think we can learn from her incredible example in her life that we find some encouragement here. And the first thing that I want to point out is that Dorcas, she was a disciple. There was a disciple named Tabitha, we learn in verse 36, that she was a disciple. She was a follower of Jesus Christ. That you think about the meaning of a disciple, that word, it is one who is a follower, it's one who is a student, a learner, a pupil. But even more than that, it's an adherent, someone who begins to take the principles of a teacher and they begin to apply them to their lives so that they begin to mimic their teacher, so that they would begin to exemplify the teachings of their teacher. And that is who Dorcas was. That is how she is first introduced to us. She was a disciple. And you think about the importance of discipleship, the ultimate goal of discipleship. In Matthew chapter 10 and in verse 24, Jesus he tells us about discipleship as he was talking to his apostles as he had sent them on the uh, limited commission to the house of Israel. In Matthew chapter 10 and in verse 24, Jesus says, A disciple is not above his teacher nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. That goal of discipleship, of being a disciple and a follower of Christ, it's that we are to be conformed to Christ, that we are to become like Christ. And that is what we set as our goal, that we want to become like our teacher. And that this is what Tabitha or Dorcas was committed to. She was committed to becoming like Jesus Christ. We learn that disciples work together in the context of local church in Acts the 11th chapter. In Acts chapter 11 and in verse 26, the first instance of the word Christian in, it, in usage of the Scripture it says in Acts chapter 11 and verse 26, talking about when Barnabas brought Saul of Tarsus to Antioch, it says that when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch, and for an entire year they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. What we learn is that disciples, they assembled together, they worshiped together, they were the people who formulated the church. If we begin to think of ourselves as a disciple, then I think we are beginning to understand our role, that we are seeking to become like Jesus Christ, that the teachings that we offer here in our Bible classes, the sermons, that they are helping us to become more and more like Jesus. That's the ultimate goal. That's what it is to be a disciple. And disciples, they conform their lives to the pattern and the teachings of their Master. And it's in that sense that they are following Christ. We are following Jesus in the ways in which He wants us to follow Him. Jesus taught that He is the way, the truth, and the life. And it's interesting in the book of Acts that you read about the description the church and 
Oftentimes in the book of Acts, it's rarely, or, or, or wouldn't say rarely, but it is sometimes called the church, but other times it, there's other descriptions of the church. In Acts chapter 9 and in verse 1, now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, and the way, that word way is capitalized in the New American Standard Bible. In Acts chapter 24, in Acts the 24th chapter, and in verse 14, Paul, as he was uh, on trial and he was before Felix, he says in verse 14, This I admit to you, that according to the way which they call a sect I do serve, the God of our fathers, believing everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets. And as he was trying to describe the church as a, that is sometimes called a sect, he said that it's called the way. In verse 22, but Felix, having a more exact knowledge about the way, put them off, saying, when Lysias, the commander, comes down, I will decide your case. That you see that these disciples are followers of the way. That they are seeking to follow the way of Christ. And that would involve the way of salvation in Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16 and in verse 17. In Acts the 16th chapter in verse 17. Notice what Paul says as he is in Philippi. As he was, had happened upon a slave girl who was uh, bringing a, a lot of uh, money to her masters and who was being a bit of an annoyance to Paul on this occasion. He says uh, in verse 17, Luke records, following after Paul and us, she kept crying out saying, these men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Lydia or Dorcas was on that path. She was on the path of salvation. She knew the way of salvation because she knew the way of Christ. In Acts chapter 18 and in verse 25, in Acts chapter 18 and in verse 25, when Paul was beginning his third missionary journey, as we are first introduced to that, we are first told about the occasion in which Apollos was being corrected by Priscilla and Aquila. In Acts chapter 18 and in verse 25, it says, This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord. That is what a disciple is. It is someone who is following the way of God. The way of the Lord. That is what we are called to be. As disciples, we are committed to following the way of salvation, to following the way of the Lord. We are committed to following Jesus Christ. We, are, we ought to be committed to becoming like Jesus. And so as we see that Paul, Silas, and Apollos were all committed to sharing and proclaiming the way of salvation and the way of the Lord, just as they were committed to sharing that, Disciples are to be committed to sharing the way of Christ. In Matthew the 28th chapter, in Matthew chapter 28, you'll remember when Jesus gave the Great Commission. In Matthew chapter 28, He told the apostles on that occasion, in verse 18 
He talks about how He has been given all authority in heaven and on earth, and He tells them in verse 19, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Disciples have a mission that we are to be about sharing the news and the way of salvation, the way of the Lord with other people. We have a mission to make more disciples. And so whenever we are told about Dorcas that she was a disciple, that is a term that we should not just gloss over. It is full of meaning that Dorcas had a purpose, a mission in her life that she accepted and that she was willing to be acknowledged among the people of God. That she accepted a role and a task and a purpose to become more and more like Jesus. And we'll talk about that some more in a few moments. And as a result of Peter restoring Dorcas to life, Many people, it says in Acts chapter 9 and verse 42, many people believed in the Lord. By that great miracle, Dorcas had a great influence on bringing many people to the Lord. But then we also learn that Dorcas was kind. In verse 36, of Acts chapter 9, it says, This woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. Kindness is a quality that is rare. Sadly, it's rare. And it is something that yet God expects of all Christians. And yet, sadly, it's sometimes the thing that is not found among Christians. In Galatians chapter 5 and in verse 22, when Paul is listing the attributes of the fruit of the Spirit, he says, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Kindness is supposed to be found among all Christians. And yet it's sometimes the last thing that would ever be found among us. The other night, Kristen and I, we watched a, a movie about Mr. Rogers. It's the one with Tom Hanks in it. And uh, we've been doing a lot of uh, Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, if you're familiar with it. It keeps Zeke happy. So... But, and I grew up watching Mr. Rogers. I'm sure you, many of you did as well. And, and the thing that struck me was that if there's a word that you describe Mr. Rogers as, it, it's kind. There's just everything. And it, it was, there's a character in the movie that 
he, you know, you could tell that he was just frustrated. Like he'd asked Mr. Rogers a question, and he was just kind of anticipating like Mr. Rogers was going to get fed up with the answer or the question or something, and he was going to turn it around and like blow blow, blow a gasket or something. And and yet, Mr. Rogers always found a way to just impress upon him a, a, a different way, a different choice that. He wasn't going to be frustrated that he was going to choose to be kind. He was going to find even something that was aggravating, annoying, or frustrated and he could find a way to turn it around to be a positive. That's what I think about kindness. It's a word that, for me, it's hard to define. It's hard to put into words what kindness means. In one dictionary, one of the Greek dictionaries, it says and it offers two different uh, definitions. And the second one, I want you to look at the second one first, uh, number two there. It's the one that I would think as being the idea of kindness. That it's the quality of being helpful or beneficial, goodness, kindness, generosity. That's what I would expect to see as sort of the first definition. The fact that it's the second part, like the... Maybe one of the second more common usages of the word. That strikes me as a little bit odd. And so then it puts a lot more emphasis to me on the first one at that point. The first entry of that is that kindness is uprightness in one's relationship with others. You think about the importance of that and the implications of that. Now, when we talk about kindness, we're not just talking about maybe being like Mr. Rogers where we can just turn you know, a frown upside down, where we can make things nice all of a sudden, but kindness in its very essence, it involves doing good things to help people, but it is not motivated by selfishness. Kindness at its root, in its meaning, is motivated by a heart that is concerned about preserving and enriching your relationship with other people. We all know people who do good things, don't we? We all know people who can do good things. Maybe it's a neighbor who, who brings you something, some, some cookies or something, or when you're sick, or maybe it is... Uh, a friend who might come over whenever you're down and out and you and they do some yard work for you. Or maybe someone who, who sends a card or does a nice gesture. Something that we're very appreciative of. And yet, you know, kind of have in the back of my back of your mind that you, you begin to question the sincerity of it because maybe you're thinking well, they just want something else out of it. <laughs> You question their sincerity and whether that's right or wrong. You know, we, we, you can, we, that's another discussion for another day. But they seem to only want to help themselves, and they aren't all that concerned about you. Where they might do something good, but then they only want to talk about themselves. When people act that way, it's not true biblical kindness. Deeds of kindness. It's whenever I am concerned about my relationship with you and because of my relationship with you, I want to do something to bolster that relationship and enrich that relationship. It's all about increasing the relationship. 
And whenever you think about that, then that really, I think, transforms our understanding of what kindness really is. That Dorcas, she was a woman who was abounding with deeds of kindness. What a statement. What a statement about her. And it involves, kindness is going to involve doing good things. It's going to be motivated by a strong desire to increase and enrich the relationship with other people. Yes, that might involve sewing clothes or quilting. It might involve doing yard work. It might involve writing cards or letters. But kindness really hits the motive of it. Whenever we say someone is kind, someone like Dorcas, whenever we are have this kind of kindness that is the part of the fruit of the Spirit, then it's really about our relationship. It's about my heart. Why am I doing these things? Why do I want to help you? Why do I want to serve you? Because I want my relationship with you to be special. That's what it's about. And when you are rich in kindness, when you are rich in kindness, when you abound in deeds of kindness, that is what people are going to talk about. Even after you die. That's what people are going to remember you for. In Acts chapter 9, in verse 39, as people had summoned Peter to come, and they brought him into that upper room where Dorcas's body was laying, it said that they brought him into the upper room and all the widows stood beside him weeping and showing all tunics and garments that Dorcas used to make while she was with them. You can imagine that, can't you? You ever had someone that made you something special? In our family, I, I grew up with quilts in our house that my great-grandmother, who I had never met, she, she made those quilts. And they were passed down to, uh, to all the family members. I'm sure you have something like that in your family. Family heirlooms. My grandmother, she made Afghans. And I have a couple of Afghans that still have. And it's not that there's anything particular particularly special about those Afghans and how they were made or anything of that nature, but it's the fact that you know why they made those. Why they spent the time making it. Because they did it because they loved you. They were thinking about you the whole time. The whole time, that's what they were thinking about. They were thinking about you and, your, and your, their relationship with you. And now, even to this day, when I have one of those quilts that my great-grandmother made, I have a couple of afghans that my grandmother made. 
And still to this day, I can say this was made by my grandmother or my great-grandmother. And that's just how I envision that scene where Peter walks into this room full of the saints. And they're like, hey Peter, let me show you this. Let me tell you about this right here. Let me tell you about what she did for me. That's the kind of woman that Dorcas was. That with each tunic Dorcas made, someone had a story to share. They weren't talking about Dorcas's wealth or anything of that nature. They were talking about her kindness. They were talking about what she did for them. And remember, as we were talking about at the very beginning of the lesson, our first point about discipleship and becoming like Jesus, notice what Luke says about Jesus in Acts chapter 10. Whenever Peter was preaching to Cornelius, as Luke records for us in that sermon that Peter preached in Acts 10 and in verse 38, you know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed Him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with Him. It's very similar construction there, isn't it? How Luke describes Dorcas. That He went about doing good. Tabitha and Dorcas, she was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity. Which she continually did. She was a good disciple because she was following the example of her Master. She was following the example of Jesus who first did things for others that were kind and charitable. She was following in the steps of Christ. And then you just have to stop and appreciate Dorcas and her generosity, her thoughtfulness for others. We learned that Dorcas was a widow. She was a woman who was abounding in these deeds of kindness. And she was continually doing things that helped other people. You see her thoughtfulness because she remembered and cared for those who might be the most vulnerable, the most neglected members of society, widows. In the law, in the Old Testament, there were always these reminders to do good, to do justice, to practice righteousness, to not you know, be mean to people. Even to the widows and the orphans. Being a widow, especially in biblical times, made you be cursed or an outcast. Definitely left you poor and those without financial means of being able to provide for themselves. All in a time when there was no such thing as state welfare. And oftentimes when God would judge nations and judge people as a result of that judgment against the nation, it would oftentimes leave women as widows, destitute. 
God's prophets warn time and time again to not mistreat widows. That God's people were to always to defend, help, and remember those who are in need and to do good things. That's what Dorcas was all about. That widows were not supposed to be forgotten. They were supposed to be remembered, honored, cherished, and consulted for their wisdom and their experience. When you think about a widow, you think about maybe one of the greatest difficulties that they have is the loneliness that they have to go through. Being alone, it's tough. It's no fun. And Dorcas remembered widows. In the book of 1 Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, as Paul was writing to Timothy about ordering things in the household of God, in the church, in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and in verse 1, Paul says, Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters. In all purity, honor widows who are widows indeed. And there's some specifications that he begins to talk about and how the church has a financial obligation and some of the qualifications in which the church needs to step in and care for those widows. But I want you to just stop and see and appreciate how Paul begins this whole message. He tells us that this is about being a family. It's a spiritual family. That He says, don't go and, and rebuke an older man. You appeal to him as you would a father. You treat him as a father. Or to the younger men, you treat them as your brothers. In a good way. Not like Cain and Abel. Or the older women, you treat them as mothers. You have a respect for them. The younger women as sisters. In all purity. Then he says, honor widows who are widows indeed. Widows aren't supposed to be forgotten. They are to be remembered. That's why in the book of James, in James chapter 1, what James tells us in James chapter 1 and in verse 27, he says, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. We oftentimes talk about this verse when it comes to to issues of institutionalism and who the church has a responsibility or who does or who bears the responsibility, whether the church or be the individual, in carrying out this application. I believe it's certainly the individual who has this responsibility. But he tells us there that this is the essence of your religion. That this is what it boils down to. How you treat other people. How you treat other people. 
visit the orphans and the widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. We all have this responsibility to look out for those who need our help and our encouragement. When individuals are committed to remembering and strengthening those who are in need, we grow. I can't imagine, as I read in Acts chapter 9 about Dorcas, I can't imagine that she doing all these things of kindness, making all those tunics for those people. I can't imagine that she was left unaffected. Because whenever you do acts of service, when you do kind things for other people, you find that you grow, that you're encouraged. Because of your usefulness, you find something that you can do in the family of God. And Dorcas sets forth a very positive example of thoughtfulness and generosity and care for those who might be left on the outskirts, for those who might be left and forgotten. And what we need to remember is we need to remember them, help them, encourage them. They aren't castaways. They are beneficial members of the body of Christ. Just because they might be a widow, maybe because they are left alone, doesn't mean we should forget them. In fact, your life will be much better off if you will develop a relationship with them. Well, we don't know a lot about Dorcas. What we do learn is highly encouraging. While there's just a few verses in Acts chapter 9 that relay a little bit about her and we're talking about her as a dead woman than someone who is alive, what we find is that the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to record her life in short summation. Dorcas. She lived as a faithful disciple of Jesus who lived with the understanding that life is about outmaneuvering the evil one and helping others through deeds of kindness. And one of the surest ways we can defeat the enemy is by strengthening our brothers and sisters and helping them by showing them kindness. Leave you with one final verse this evening, First Corinthians chapter fifteen. In First Corinthians chapter fifteen, in verse fifty-eight, the very last verse of that chapter, the apostle Paul says, "Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil." is not in vain in the Lord. That's what I think about when I think of Dorcas. Someone who labored and kept her faith. Someone who is a disciple and follower of Jesus who wanted to become more and more like her Master.
who did good things and kind things for others, and who kept her faith to the very end, and who sought ways to help others along her journey. What are you doing in your life? Are you helping others? Are you showing acts of kindness? Are you abounding in deeds of kindness and abounding in the work of the Lord? That's our mission. That's our purpose as disciples and followers of Christ. Tonight, if you're not a disciple of Jesus, we want you to become a disciple of Jesus. We want you to become a Christian and a child of God to be added into the family of God. We want you to come to Christ. You can come to Christ this evening if you're willing to come confess your faith, repent of your sin, be baptized in water. Perhaps it is that you have done that, but you allowed sin to come back into your life and you need to make some changes in your life. We're here to help you and encourage you. If we can help you in some way, would you come now as we stand and as we sing?